Good morning. Good to see you guys. So if you're new, if you're joining us here in person for the first time or online for the first time, again, we want to welcome you. Or maybe you're new again because I'm seeing some faces that I haven't seen in a while. Praise God. It's good to be back together again and to be in a position to be able to uh, have kind of our whole body start to get back together. Super grateful for that. So um, we are talking about... Oh, no, we're not yet. We're not. He's smiling at me, and he's going. All right. Well, peace. Peace is a, is a concept. It's a, it's a thing that we are always trying to uh, grasp. We, we want to live in peace. We want to be a people who have peace in our hearts and in our lives and in our homes. And, and, and peace is something that's very much on the heart of God. If you look into the Bible, you'll see that there are many, many, many references to peace. And so... We want to look that over, and we want to talk about this concept of peace and how peace comes and what peace looks like. And so the, 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 the title is just Peace Be to You, and peace be to you, to you, and to you, and to you, and to you, to you, to you, to all of you, and all of you online as well. We want to be a people um, of peace. And so I'm going to go ahead and get started here. Where I'm at, the text is John chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. So you can either grab a Bible out of the pew, open your Bible, or turn your Bible on, whatever it is you do. And we are going to look through this. This is, uh, this is basically um, an event that begins kind of on the evening of Resurrection Sunday, and it continues over into the next week with a guy named Thomas. So here in a minute, these guys will get it up on the screen. But until then, I'm going to start off, okay? John 20, verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. You. Ta-da. Thanks, guys. So it's evening. It's, it's Resurrection Sunday. It's that, that's that evening. It's the first day of the week. That's why we know it's Sunday. And the Jewish calendar, Sunday was the beginning of their week. The doors are locked and the disciples are in there. And the reason that they're in there is because they're fearful. They're afraid. They're afraid that the Jewish authorities are going to come and drag them out of there and do the very thing that happened to Jesus. They're afraid that just as their leader died for this cause, that so they will be the next. They've seen some things and they've heard some things. There's been talk of angel sightings, a resurrection, empty tomb, nothing but the, but the, uh, but the burial clothes left in this tomb. But it isn't enough at this point to overcome their fear. They're still living in great anxiety and great fear of what might happen to them. And then, so they're behind locked doors. What happens? It says that Jesus just came and he stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. So this is a glimpse too. This is a glimpse, a a neat glimpse for us as to the future of what things look like. One day, we'll have this really cool body like Jesus has. And, and I don't know how this happens, but supernaturally somehow 
Jesus' body is a body, but it's a glorified body, but is able just to pass through this locked door and to stand in the midst of them. You know, so many times, even though we know some things about God, we know things about Jesus, we understand concepts and things, we still can be a people who are living very fearfully and in a lot of anxiety. And the comfort is that is that Jesus comes, he stands with us in the midst of this, and his proclamation is that peace would be with you, that you would have peace. After he says this, he shows them his hands and his side. He demonstrates to them the reality that this is not a body. He's not an apparition. He's not a ghost. I'm sorry, it is a body. It's not an apparition. It's not a ghost. This is a real body that this is actual, and it's a glorified body, yes, but it still maintains many of the physical attributes of the body. So it says that the disciples, whenever he had shown them this, it says that they were glad they rejoiced. They were very happy. They felt much better. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. Now, when God starts repeating himself, we, we need to start re- really listening, right? So now the second time, peace be with you. And then he tells them, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. So how has the Father sent him? Well, Jesus has come on mission, right? He's come on mission for the reconciliation of the human race back to a holy and righteous God. He's come to pay the penalty for sin. He's come to live a perfect life and substitute that life for my life and your life so that we might stand in the presence of a holy and perfect God, so that our relationship might be completed. It might be once again made whole. And then he tells them, that same way that I came, I'm sending you, that you have a mission, And your mission now is to go and to bring reconciliation, to go and be a people who are sharing hope, a people who bring wholeness to the world around them. So we are a sent people. We understand this. Matthew 28 demonstrates and tells us the reality that God has a mission for each and every one of us. Moving on. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. So Thomas isn't there. We're not told where he's at. We're not told why he's not there, but he's not there for some reason. Maybe it's the struggle he's having with his belief. Maybe he's in the middle of just anxiety, fear, disbelief, and he wants to separate himself even from the other guys who are hanging out up there in that upper room who are behind the locked doors. But they find him, they see him, or however that works, maybe he shows up, I don't know, but they tell him, they say, look, we, we saw him, you know, Uh, Let me back up really quick here. This is a foreshadowing of the day of Pentecost. Jesus, it says he breathes on them and tells them to receive the Holy Spirit. So so the first to to get this are the disciples. It's, It's this breath that breathes the Spirit into them, right? It's the breath of God that breathes life into a body that was formed out of the dust, right? See, we were always created to live with a body. We will live in a glorified body in the eternal state. We weren't created to be little spirits wisping around somewhere up there. We have a really interesting concept sometimes of what the afterlife and what heaven will look like. I think probably the study that Ben is about to do is going to clarify some of those things. 
But we were made for a body. God first made a body and then breathed life and a spirit and a soul into it. And, and, and so we were created to live this way. But he says, receive the Holy Spirit. On the day of Pentecost, what happens is there's something like a rushing wind. The breath of God breathes the Spirit of God into the church, into the people of God, empowering them for the ministry that God has for them. Goes on to say, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. That's a, it's almost as scary. We're like, what is that? Can we forgive sins? Can we withhold the forgiveness of sins? The answer to that is no, but the mission that they've been given is about the gospel. This is the, this is the work that, that the church and the disciples are being sent out to do. And everything about that, the forgiveness of sin, lies in the message of the gospel. And in withholding the message of God, the gospel, we withhold the opportunity for the forgiveness of sin. So it all is compounded in this idea of the gospel and, and the message and the, the hope and the mission that we've been given. So now Thomas, one of the 12, who's called the twin, he was not with them when Jesus came. Again, we don't know where he was, but they told him later, they said, hey, we've seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see his hands, the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. I'm just not there. I'm not going to believe it. I don't care about the rhetoric. I don't care about all of the, 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 these things I'm hearing. I don't care about this or that. I want to see him. I want to experience him for real, face to face. If this is true, then this is what I'm needing for my faith. And I don't think that I can make it unless I have a visit from the Lord. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not yet seen and have yet have believed. So again, roughly a week later, shows up again. The disciples are again in this place, locked got the doors locked, got the bar across the door. They're locked in there, but this time Thomas is with them. And it says again, Jesus passes through all of this and into their fear and into this place. And he once again proclaims for the third time, peace be with you. Immediately after that, he says, Thomas, come here, put your hand in here, put your hand on my side, put your finger in these holes, come, come and, and check this out. Do not disbelieve but believe. So Jesus meets Thomas exactly where he needs to be met. It's a picture again of this good shepherd that goes out and seeks after the one. Jesus wasn't like, hey, you know what? If he can't believe some of the stories that he's here and then forget it. No, he's come seeking Thomas and he comes seeking a doubting Thomas and he makes in him a believing Thomas, right? He says, put your hand in here, feel of this, see the reality of the body that I'm living in. And Thomas's answer to this is my Lord and my God. It's probably one of the most concise uh, just descriptions of deity of Jesus that we have in the Bible. When he says my Lord, he is using the capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, that is, in, uh, is given in our Bible in place of the Jehovah or Yahweh or YWVH or the unspeakable highest name of God 
he pronounces that to Jesus. It's the great I am that he's talking about, the, the I am God of the Old Testament. He's saying, that's who you are, and you are theos, you are God. So this, and Jesus never rejects this label. He says, I am the I am. I am the God, and I am the God of the Old Testament. And so he says, okay, so if you, you believe, because you've seen me, blessed are those who have not yet seen and yet have believed. And so Jesus is on this, this topic of peace. Dictionary.com says, the normal non-warring condition of a nation, group of nations, or the world. An agreement or treaty between warring or antagonistic nations, groups, etc., to end hostilities and abstain from further fighting or antagonism. Uh, a state of mutual harmony between people or groups, especially in personal relations. The normal freedom from civil commotion and violence of a community, public order, and security. So the world offers a type of peace to us, but Jesus tells us that it's a false peace, that it's not a real peace, it's not a lasting peace. The world offers the only peace that the world has to offer, which is that in the temporal realm, that in the here and now, the things about our bank accounts and who we're with and what our relationships look like and how well we're doing in in life and circumstances and different kinds of things. But those kinds of things don't bring real and lasting peace to us. We think that fame, fortune, um, influence, beauty, youth, all of these things would bring us peace. But if we look at the people who have those in our society, maybe the celebrities, are they a picture of peace for us? Are they a good example of what we would say, man, I want my life to really look like that, that the things that they have have really brought those kinds of peace to them. Youth, beauty, power, fame, influence, all of these things, they don't bring us a peace. As a matter of fact, when Jesus talked to his disciples about the peace that he was going to leave them, he said he gives not as the world gives. The world gives a different form of peace. In Jesus' time, there was the Pax Romana, Pax uh, being the word for peace, and Romana, Rome, the peace of Rome. And, and, and this is a peace. It's a different kind of peace. It's a worldly peace. This was a peace by force. This was a peace... That, that, that because Rome was such a domineering um, power in the region there, that they kept the peace of the region, um, not because there was mutual agreement between them and other people, but because they were so dominating that if anybody tried to challenge the peace of the area, they would just squelch them and it would be over. And so they called it the peace of Rome. And, and that time period actually was a, a, a period of, of short-lived peace in that area of the world. But it wasn't lasting because that kind of peace can never last because it's temporary because power always shifts, right? We see that in our political systems. When we, when we believe that, that, that our political systems become the answer to our spiritual problems, we see that power shifts quickly and that things change in this world. But Jesus really is talking about a peace that transcends all of those kinds of things. Jesus would have used the word shalom, being a a Hebrew speaker or um, an Aramaic speaker. Shalom is a different concept of peace. Shalom isn't just the absence of conflict in our lives. Shalom is a picture of completeness. It's a picture of wholeness. Shalom is, is like this idea that there's, it's the final brick that gets put into a wall that, that completes it, that makes it total and whole. It would be like these Jenga blocks here, and there's, there's one last thing. Whoa, man, I almost did something not shalom there. And, um, and this one, 
if I can now get it in there, because I had messed up the shalom of my Jenga. There it goes. Now, it is shalom. It's whole. It's complete. The, the, the peace has been put in there that was missing for us. So shalom is this really much deeper meaning of peace. It, it, doesn't, it, it doesn't mean it, it's, it, it's about restoration. It's about bringing wholeness. It's about a mutual agreement. It's not just the cessation of hostility between two parties. It's two parties beginning to live for the benefit of one another. That's shalom peace. That's a bigger concept of peace. It's not just like, a, like if we had a, a, a peace treaty with Iran or something. It's not that we are actually two groups that are working in unison for the benefit of one another. It's just that we've agreed to not fight. So, so this peace um, is a deeper thing. Peace is temporary. Shalom is permanent. Peace can be partial. Shalom is whole. And Jesus is bringing shalom or the restoration and the completion to all of us and to all of his creation as well. So as we look into Isaiah, we see this glimpse of, of, of Jesus and who he is and what he's come to do. It says in Isaiah 9, 6, for a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Isaiah 9, 7, there will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. From then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of armies will accomplish this. It's this idea that this peace also brings authority with it. This peace is based in the authority of Christ and this kingdom. Peace resides with God. His mission we see this, Isaiah 53, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. With his wounds, we are healed. What does that mean? It means that Jesus was for us what we couldn't be for ourselves, where we were incomplete on our own, incomplete and, and, and broken, that his life was the perfect life substituted for ours. His was the fulfillment of the law where we had broken it. He fulfilled it for us, where we have lived a life that was short of his glory and short of, of, of the righteousness of God. He, he lived a, a righteous, holy, and perfect life so that he could substitute, so that he could bring shalom to us, so he could bring wholeness to us. Colossians 1, 19 and 20, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. So how do we have peace? How do we experience peace? We experience peace through Christ. We experience wholeness and the goodness through Christ and through his, his ministry for his plans for us. So Isaiah 61 this is the very place that Jesus began his ministry. As a matter of fact, Jesus got into the synagogue. He got the scroll of Isaiah. He rolled it out and he began to read out of this very passage, this very part. And this thing is, is a description. And he says at the end, I'm him. I'm the one who, who this is talking about. And it says this. It says that the spirit of the Lord is God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. What's he come? He's saying, look, I'm the Messiah. The spirit of God is upon me. I'm walking this earth as the God man filled with this spirit who has come to be the Messiah, who has become to be the sacrifice for the sins of humanity. And, and, and this is an anointed place. This is backed up by his father. And he's come to do what? To bring good news, to bring the gospel. The gospel, the good news that God has done for you and for me what we could never do for ourselves. It, it's this gospel message that, that he is bringing. And who's he bringing it to? He's bringing it to the poor. Because there's a necessity and a need for the reality of our spiritual poverty. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Why? Because until you recognize that you have a need that's outside of yourself, as long as you see yourself as being self-sufficient and able and, and, and able to provide for yourself and without need from out something outside, you won't turn to a savior. There's a necessity to recognize and get real with the reality of our brokenness, that we aren't who we think we are, that there are skeletons in all of our closets, that each one of us have struggled. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And there's a need to recognize the poverty of our own status before a holy and perfect God. But when we do that, there's a deliverer of the good news. There's one who comes who says, I have hope for you. You're not lost. You didn't go this much too far. There's hope for you that God has done for us what we couldn't do on our own. Now, listen to this. He's come to do what? To bring this good news, the gospel, and to bind up the brokenhearted, to be a salve, to be a balm over our hearts. The reality of all of our lives is that we are brokenhearted. Something has broke your heart. Something has broke my heart. Our hearts have all been broken in different arenas and will be broken in different arenas. We'll face difficulties. We face loss. We face um, sickness. We face disease. We face things that just break our hearts. But he says he's come to bind that, to fix that, to bring completion and wholeness even to us, to proclaim liberty to captives. The Bible says that if you sin, you're the slave to sin. He said that he's come to set us free from the slave that dominates our lives, that the things that we begin to struggle with, the things that trap us and leave us in unhealthy patterns, the things that, that, that bring results into our lives that we don't want to have. He says that he's come to proclaim liberty to captives. And listen to this, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. He's come not just to save you, but to change you, to have you recognize that there is a freedom that God has set you into. There are things that we're living with that God does not want us to live with. There is bondage in our lives, and this is the very thing that, that Chance's group is talking about. It's saying, what he's saying is that I unlock the prison door. Don't sit inside the prison being just saved. Recognize that the door is open. Walk out into the freedom that has been purchased for you. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That's hope. That's a future. He's talking about a year of the Lord's favor before you. He has a hope and he has a future for us. And the vengeance of our God. Now, that means that God is saying he's just. That all of the injustice in the world, the injustice maybe of our own lives, the things that we've struggled with, that one day a right and righteous judge is going to set the book straight. This is the promise of God that one day he will do that and he will, he will, he will make the books right. And in the places where we really need him to make it right, he's going to do that. And he's going to comfort all who mourn. 
Revelation says he's going to wipe every tear away, that every loss, every struggle, everything that we've, that we've had in this life, all of the brokenness of this life is going to be brought to a different place, and we will live in a different way. It goes on to say, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. So those who mourn in Zion, the Jewish people, God is gonna show his faithfulness to them. Instead of them mourning and weeping in ashes, he is gonna give them a garland, a, a place of victory, Um, an oil of gladness instead of the mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. Isn't that what we need right now in the the church today? I'm going to say that instead of a faint spirit, instead where God's people are shirking back, where we're not speaking, and trust me, listen, we need to speak the right way, and we need to speak in the right tones, and we need to speak the right message. But we need to stand up, and we need to be a people who, with the garment of praise, say that this is the God who is worthy to serve. This is the God who is good. This is the God who has standards, that when we follow them, all people prosper. All people do well in the midst of this. This is the God who is worthy of our worship. This is the God, this is the creator God of everything. And in this world that is experiencing such confusion and is trying to rewrite the reality of the world around us into some forms of, of imagination even, We need to be a people who stand up and say, God has freedom for you. He has goodness for you. He has a plan for you. He made you and created you a certain way and with certain standards and on certain, uh, with with certain directives. And and he gave you a mission and purpose in this life. We need to have that message in the church. It's time for the church to stand up and speak and not just live in this faint spirit. We don't call to have a faint spirit We're called to rise up, to be his people, that they might be called oaks of righteousness. What's an oak? It's a a picture, it's a symbol of strength and stability. It's something that brings shade to those around it. it. It becomes this place of refuge. And this is what the church and what God's people are supposed to be. We're supposed to be uh, strength and stability in the middle of a changing and, and un, uh, dark and, and, and fallen world, that he may be glorified. It's about him, that they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. I don't believe there's been a time it's more crucial for the church today to rebuild the walls of the world and the culture that we live in. It's broken. It's broken and it's getting more broken. And what I can't believe is honestly, is that nobody is talking about the restoration of the family. The problem in the world, the biggest problem in the world that I bet 95% of the struggles are going to is the brokenness of the family, the brokenness of marriage. What's the world trying to do? Just redefine it. We just redefine it and make it okay somehow by, by just calling it whatever we can instead of getting back to the basics of this thing and saying, what does it look like to have foundationally strong Families, marriages, children. We need to be a people who understand because we've been told and we understand by God how this works. 
We need to be a people that have that message, but we have to have it in love. We have to lovingly go out and reestablish. We need to start building the walls back up again. Not walls to keep people out, not people, but the enemy out. These walls don't go up. These ancient ruins, we need to build up the things that are broken. We need to be a people who are bringing shalom, wholeness, completion to the world around us. This is the high calling for God's people. That message in 61 is a, is a prescription for wholeness from Jesus to us. And, and it's a step that we too often walk around. God is calling you and me, the only person that can be responsible for your well-being and your health, your emotional health, your spiritual health, your physical health, all of this is really, I mean, sometimes physical health gets out of our realm, but, but it's you. You can only be, only you can be responsible for your spiritual fitness, only you can, can take responsibility to that. Now, God wants to walk through that with you. He wants to help you in that. But we too often try to, try to not do the things. We try to not work through any of the steps. We try to not face any of our struggles or our brokenness or the things that we've done or the things that have been done to us. We try to just pretend like that they don't exist. And we try to shove them down into some dark place. And all they do is grow tentacles around our souls. And they cause us to develop patterns of unhealthy coping. They break us. They break our relationships. And broken people start to pass that down. So God has this prescription for us to get healed up, and we too often skip over this step. What would it look like if we just replace peace with um, wholeness? Psalm 34, 14, turn away from evil and do good. Seek wholeness and pursue it. Psalm 85, 8, let me hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak wholeness to his people to his saints, but, not, but let them not turn back to folly. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have wholeness with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and wholeness. Romans 14, 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and wholeness and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans 14, 19, so then let us pursue what makes for wholeness and for mutual upbuilding. That is shalom. It's the picture of wholeness. How about completeness? Ephesians 2, 14, for he himself is our completion, who has made us both one and has broken down his flesh in his flesh, the dividing wall of hostility. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of completion himself sanctify you completely and make your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So what is God doing here? Well, again, it's not just about bringing salvation. It's about the restoration of everything back to its original intention, back to this, this world being in a way that it was intended to be and our lives being lived in a way that it was intended to be. And God is on mission in our lives to sanctify us, to make us like Christ, to change us, to, to, to heal us up. Why? So that we might be a full vessel, so that we might be able to, to fully uh, be filled with the Spirit and do the high calling 
Revelation 21 says this, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And when that happens, when we get to that spot, the whole completion, the shalom that Jesus came and is beginning and is at work will be complete. It'll be, do, it'll be done. And this will be the eternal state. And I want you to notice that I know that we think that we're going to fly away and we're going to live somewhere up in the cosmos with God. But this is a different picture. This is the picture of, of heaven descending to earth and the two becoming one. And, and this idea that God dwells with us in this place and that we will live here and in a body one day and it will all be glorified and it will all be perfect. But in the meantime, in the meantime, here's our bidding. Isaiah 52, 7. How delightful on the mountains are the feet of the one who brings good news, who announces peace and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation and says to Zion, your God reigns. Ephesians six fifteen And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. What does that mean? That means your shoes and your feet are meant to be the gospel. And what, are, what, what, what is that, that, where you go? Your feet are what take you where you go. And as you're going, this is the message. This is the job. This is what we're called to do as God's people is that we are supposed to be a people who are bringing shalom, peace, wholeness, completeness, at least to the best of our abilities to the world around us. Second Corinthians 5.18, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. This is the ministry that's been given back to us, the idea of bringing back together what was broken, the idea of completion, the idea of shalom, the idea of being God's people, empowered by his spirit, doing the mission and the calling of God. This is the high call for his people. So it's Mission Sunday, and um, as we close and pray, I just want to encourage you that God has a plan for you, that as you go with your feet, where you go, when you go, and how you go, to keep the gospel close to your lips. If we're a people who proclaim Christ, who say that we live by his standards, then who love our neighbor as ourselves, I mean, what if we asked our neighbor, does that ring true? Do you recognize that? When's the last time we talked to somebody about Jesus? When's, when did we share the gospel? When did we leave some, lead someone to Christ? It's not my job. I mean, it is sort of, but it's all of our job. This is a corporate thing. We're called to be his church, and his church is the vessel by which he wants to bring shalom into this world. So, Joel Bailey and, and his son, LJ, are headed to Nepal. You guys want to come up? 
so everybody can see you. They're headed to Nepal, and they're going to hook up with our buddy Barney there, and, and they're going to um, do some ministry there, and they're leaving on Wednesday. And, and since this is our Mission Sunday, uh, you know, I, I want to just pray with these guys. Um, I'm encouraged. I can't wait to hear about their trip. I wish I was going to. Anna and I have a great love for Nepal and actually met through a ministry that took us to Nepal a while back. And, um, but uh, I want to pray over these guys. And I also want to just say, just if there's an opportunity, if you feel led, if you wanted to get with these guys, they're going to hang out in the back a little bit. If you had something that if you wanted to uh, financially contribute to their trip or to some money to give to Barney or something like that, that would be awesome. You could also just give to our missions. You could go on, the, on our app and on our online giving. You could click it to missions and you could give through that and we'll get that to those guys. But it, it has to be done soon. They're leaving Wednesday. Okay, so we want to pray for them. And um, yeah, if you, if you have it on your heart, uh, Barney has been a, a great blessing to this church. He's been a great friend uh, to Anna and, and myself. He's been a great encouragement. And so these guys are headed and they're going to go see him. And let's pray for them. And let's pray also too for all of us that we would be a people who recognize the calling in our lives. Okay, Lord, we just thank you. We thank you, Lord, that you've given us a ministry of reconciliation and that you've, you've, you've fit our feet with the gospel and, and that, that you've given us purpose in this life to go out and to do the things that you've called us to do. But Lord, you've also called us to be healed up, to recognize the reality of life and how we've been beat up by it, what it's done in our lives and how it's left us broken and, and, and struggling in some areas. And so Lord, we pray that for each person here that we would just do business with you, Jesus. We'd allow you to do in us and through us what you wanna do, that you would bind up our broken hearts, that you would set our set us free from captivity, that you would open the prison door for us, that, that Lord, you would, um, you would clear the tears out of our eyes and that you would equip us to do all of the things that you've called us to do. And Lord, we pray for Joel and, and, and LJ and their trip. We pray, Lord, that you would bless them. We pray for Barney and Radhika. We pray for the, the church of Gungabu in, uh, in Kathmandu. Uh, we pray, Lord, that you would bless the believers over there, and we pray that you, they, you would use these guys mightily as they, as they go there. We pray that, you would, um, that they would meet every divine appointment that is laid out before them. We pray your protection over them as they go as well, Lord, and we pray that many would come as a result of their journey over there. And Lord, we pray that LJ, he's, he's um, studying with YWAM to, to uh, lead groups into Nepal and is going to stay there for a while. We pray that you bless him. We pray, Lord, that you make very clear the calling on his life that you have for him while he's there. And we pray, Lord, that, that through him and through his, his uh, ministry there, Lord, again, that many would come to know you. So, Lord, may we set our hearts on the things above. May we know that there's a higher calling. May we not be just uh, caught up in the things of this world. May we not be distracted by things that will not last. May we set our hearts and our, our minds and our effort and our finances on eternal things. May we, may we look to, to your kingdom, Lord. May we pursue your kingdom first. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks for coming up.